the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. Thursday, May 5th, 2022, as we head into hour two of our daily three-hour tour. It is a delight to welcome into the studio a brand spanking new guest and a brand new candidate for the state house, the state legislature in Arizona. One of the interesting things about the times we're in and the election uh the election we're going through to in November is the the new caliber and quality of candidates, particularly in the Republican Party. It's a much better caliber than I have seen in years past with a much more unique uh, set of candidates, a lot of strong women, strong mothers who have looked around at what this country is doing in the education system, what it is doing in health care, what it is doing on the economy, and saying, you know what, it's time for strong female leadership in the Republican Party, too. I am delighted to introduce to the audience candidate for Legislative District 4, newly created district, which will encompass the um, the very studios, the offices and the studios we are broadcasting from. She is Vera Gibran. She spells her name Vera, V-E-R-A, her last name Gibran, G-E-B-R-A-N. You can check her out at her website, votevera.com. Vera, thanks for coming into the studio. More importantly, thank you for throwing your hat in the ring and running for office. Oh, it's my pleasure, and it's an honor. Thank you for having me today, Seth. You, you it's betcha. very gracious of you. Thank you. You betcha. You betcha. I ask this of every first-time guest. Handle it however you want. Give an autobiography. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself um, and how you came to be doing what you're doing. <laughs> Okay. Well, how much time do I have? You, you, know, I've been you leave the time to me. I've been around for a minute, Seth. As close to your mouth as possible, <laughs> and you right. leave the timing to me. Yes. So um, I arrived in the United States as a young girl. Uh, I immigrated here with my family legally due to the civil war that broke out in, in Lebanon due to our weak borders and uh, an unlawful entry by an extremist Muslim agenda. And so we were fortunate enough to have had family already here in the United States that were able to sponsor us. And um, so I arrived here when I was a young girl, lived a pretty normal American life. Um, I was a good student and an athlete, participated in the school newspaper and that kind of thing. And um, and then I ended up going <clears> – pardon me. You're fine. Uh, ended up going to school to a private women's college, Mary Baldwin, in Virginia. And uh, after that, I dabbled a little bit in the fashion industry in New York, but found that that was not the right fit for me. Uh, and then uh, moved on to Los Angeles, where I developed a, a beautiful group of innovative and intelligent friends and together we went to India to pioneer the call center industry. Wow. So uh, I arrived in India in approximately March 1998. Uh, I was assigned a driver and a secretary and a car. And by December, I had 1,000 employees and uh, 40,000 square feet. Wow. So 
Uh, India was a great success, although probably some of your viewers may disagree with that. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great success for us. And uh, shortly after that, we were invited by the Pakistani government to go up and replicate the model there. We had such a – India enjoyed such a um, – a great infusion of foreign exchange and, you know, it heightened their economy that we were invited by President Musharraf to go and replicate the model there. And then, again, we were asked by the government of South Africa and replicated the model there and went on to Fiji. So after uh, after Fiji, uh, I decided to step away and to start building my family, which I did. And I have been doing for the last multiple years. And uh, then, you know, they're, they're settled into school and everything is going well. And all of this happened. All of this uh, has transpired with uh, the, the COVID and how our, uh, how our world had changed. And um, what actually really had me motivated was uh, America's response to COVID. Okay. So... Talk to me about that. What in the response to COVID got you so upset? The loss of liberty, our losses of liberty, uh, the mandates enforced on our children, uh, the fear that was still instilled uh, into the children, to the adults. You know, that's not the America that I arrived in, uh, arrived to when I was a young woman. Uh, that is not the 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 power and the confidence and all of those things that make America great. That did not look like America to me. So it had me concerned because I was, uh, you know, the things that my children were were learning during that time had me fearful for their future. So aside from the COVID thing, what was going on in the schools? You're talking about the kind of critical race theory stuff. Yes, the social emotional learning and all of that, which, you know, there's like an indoctrination that's happening rather than an education. And when you're when you're doing that, um, along comes with that an entitlement rather than a seeking for enlightenment. And so the path that we began um, began down had me very concerned. It so happens that in 2014, when I returned to Arizona, I had persons in my community, uh, my church, my friends, asking me to get involved in politics. Uh, their knowledge of my success uh, of doing uh, international diplomacy work motivated them to ask me to get involved. And so at that time, um, it wasn't really uh, right for me to get involved. But having gone through what we went through over the last couple of years, and given that my children were of an appropriate age, I thought, you know, somebody with my skill set, my background, if I'm not getting involved, if I'm not offering this to my state and my country, then I'm now part of the problem. Only reason, uh, only way for evil to triumph is for good 
uh, good people to do nothing, Edmund Burke said. I corrupted it a little bit, but close enough. In all your business experience that you uh, you were talking about, Vera, overseas, your family and you uh, built quite a good small business here. I don't even know if you could call it small. Quite a well-recognizable <laughs> and successful business here in Arizona as well. You want to tell the audience about your work certainly, in that? Certainly. Certainly. Thank you. Uh, so when I was in, in college, my brothers and I uh, established the U.S. Egg restaurant, and now we enjoy six locations all throughout the valley. Um, it, it was tremendously fun to do that as, as uh, young college goers, and it's been fun watching it grow um, and, uh, you know, learning and seeing and experiencing the overreach of, of government into yeah. our small business was really disturbing. And, you know, I mean, like you said, we're not that small because we're, we are actually one of the top 20 private employers in the state. Fantastic. So we're not that small. And luckily, because we uh, are fiscally very conservative, we were prepared for for such for such a time as this. So we survived it. But my heart went out to the many, many businesses that didn't survive. That's right. There are restaurants that will not come back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one of the interesting things it seems to me about the restaurant business, Vera, is that it really prepares you well for what you're doing now, which is running for legislature, because you get to see on the one hand certainly – government regulation coming at you in one direction and on the other, um, having to please a customer uh, and wanting to please a customer and having to work that divide and obviously taking criticism. I'm sure occasionally (laughs) – I'm sure occasionally you've taken some criticisms in your business and how to deal with that. Um, One of the things that I found when I first met you uh, so so intriguing about your story is how you related what – your family and you experienced in Lebanon, which was once, how would you put it, um, the Paris of the Middle East, East, right? A beautiful country. People have no concept of this anymore because they see pictures of, you know, Beirut now and it looks like South Central L.A., which is its own kind of story or in some regards even worse. And what you drew from that, give me that, Matt. Give me what you drew from your experience growing up in Lebanon and moving here and seeing what you're seeing now. Well, I see I see the threat at the at the border for what it is. I have already experienced what's coming. Uh the unlawful entry, the weak borders are compromising us. And I've already gone through the 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 sadness, the the loss of my beloved country. And it terrifies me that now we are putting this country at risk. I'm so scared of losing this country now. You know, people say the word immigration so flippantly. But, you know, when you when you leave your country, you are leaving your your culture, your family, your friends, your loved ones, your your music, your you're leaving everything behind. We were lucky enough to come to America where we were welcomed, where uh, we had to earn our stay, and that's absolutely the way it should be. That was, you know, juxtaposed to, for example, um, <clears throat> pardon me, the Tibetans uh, that I worked with in India. 
It's a, it's a heck of a story. We have to take a quick break. Let me pause you there. Can I pick up on this? On Absolutely. You can stay a little Absolutely. bit. You've lost one country. You don't pleasure. want to lose another. Vera Gibran is our guest. VoteVera.com is her website. I'm Seth Leibson. She is Vera Gibran, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Vera Gibran is our guest. She's a candidate for our state legislature here in District 4, LD4. VoteVera.com is her website. Uh, when I uh, heard her giving a talk uh, a little while ago and she talk, spoke about you know her upbringing in Lebanon and then moving here and she said, I've lost one country. I don't want to lose another. She had me. There is this interesting thing about America where occasionally we need to be reminded from time to time – uh, from people on the uh, who come here from other countries to remind us of who we are so that we don't take things too terribly much for granted. It started with Marquis de Lafayette. We got it through Alexis de Tocqueville. There is a wonderful tradition of that happening here, and I think Vera Gibran is in that tradition. We're going to have another guest later running for superintendent, Sherry Sapir. You know I'm all in for Abe Hamaday. This is such a great crop of people who are running and reminding us of who we used to be and who we can be again. Vera, you... um, Tell me, tell me about what brought your parents here, how they got here, and then I want to go back to what you learned from the people of Tibet. I speak about Tibet a lot. It, it would be it would be great to hear that. But tell us a little bit about your folks and their experience coming here. So when my parents uh, arrived in America, obviously uh, it was a, a dire situation with the war breaking out, and they didn't speak English. They they came to America as um, adult. Uh, learners is, is what they're referred to as. And my father um, worked in a factory for painting uh, John Deere equipment and worked in a restaurant. And But he was very fiscally conservative, uh, intelligent about how he uh, spent his money, he and my mother. And they were a great team. And they would work 12 hours, 14 hours. And you know, Seth, at the end of the day, uh, they would get obviously start very early hours, they would still go in the evenings and take English classes out of reverence for this great flag. They understood the treasure of the opportunity that they were given and never took it for granted. They were showing reverence and love for this flag. And they pass that on to us. We always include in our prayers, in our daily prayers with our families, we always include uh, the United States and its leaders to be protected. Fantastic. I, I just love this, reteaching the American uh, work ethic as well. Vera, you were going to make a point I'm about sorry, what you I'm learned. I'm sorry to cut you off, yeah. uh, Seth. Part of that is, you know, what hurts, What watching what's been happening is there's this loss um, – we need to we need to reinstate traditional American values. They're beautiful, they're wholesome, they're good, they're productive, and they've been villainized. And uh, it's a shame. It makes me sad for our young people, for the next generation. This reinstatement of traditional values that made us so great, made us inspirational to the rest of the world. We need to go back to that. Tell me about the Tibet story. So when I was living and working in India, um, 
I observed a terribly unfortunate uh, incident where I saw a couple of young Tibetan girls uh, uh, badly mistreated. The incident happened on a Friday night, and early Saturday morning I had my staff uh, contacting the managers uh, or the leaders of the refugee camps. By Tuesday, I had them in my office talking about job opportunities. Um, And uh, a lot of – they were very limited – in what they could and could not do. All of that is to say, and of course, I'm, I'm sh- sure you know that the Tibetans were taking refuge in India due to the Chinese Communist uh, Party persecution. Uh, all I kept thinking was, my goodness, this is not the way we were treated. We were so blessed and lucky to come to a country like America where we were truly embraced and Uh, given opportunity to grow and prosper and create this beautiful, exceptional life. And we worked hard for it. We earned it. But at least we were given an opportunity. My, My counterparts, my cousins who remained in Lebanon are referred to as children of the war. They are emotionally altered by what they endured for 20 years of their life. And here I am with my brothers, my four beautiful brothers. We're, we're athletes. We're traveling around and doing games and swimming in the summers and running through those beautiful Iowa plains. I mean, you know, we had a blessed life. And so I can't help but <laughs> think about other people and, and their lack of opportunity. One of the uh, one of the chief ways we have made Americans here, we have taught people born here about this country and how to perpetuate it. One of the ways we have assimilated immigrants and brought them into this country and had them become uh, a part and parcel of our unique social fabric was the education system. It was it was always the first stop was the education system. It was our first and to many last best hope, uh, even for people that didn't speak English. Uh, this is the battleground right now in America, the education system. And uh, we're going to go to a break in just a moment. I wonder if when we come back, you can talk a little bit about some of your ideas for what you would do for education reform and some of what you are seeing in our education system that has so motivated you to run for pre- uh, for, <laughs> for president. I'm already elevating you. <laughs> I know you can't do that, but you can run for state legislature. You are running for Very state charming. legislature. <laughs> Vera Gibran is, um, is, our, is our in-house guest. We are delighted to have her. She is running for LD4 for our state house of representatives. VoteVera.com is her website. As we go to break, let me put in a word for our good friends at the Midas Gold Group. The financial news from the Biden administration just keeps getting worse and worse. Consumer price surged 8.5% in March, the fastest pace since December 1981. Wholesale inflation has surged over 11%, an even more ominous trend. The markets reacted drastically to the measures by the Fed and not in a good way. That's your investment security being flushed, which is why I recommend diversifying with physical gold from the Midas Gold Group. Gold traditionally holds its value when the dollar falls and economies fall. Don't wait while liberal policies damage financial markets even further. Diversify your investments today with the physical gold and precious metals dealer I use. That's the Midas Gold Group. MidasGoldGroup.com. Give them a call at 480-360-3000 and tell them Seth sent you.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Vera Gibran is our guest. VoteVera.com. She's a candidate running for LD4, our state legislature here in Legislative District 4. Vera, I wanted to talk to you uh, a little bit more about education. Obviously, that was one of the great energizers or catalysts for you deciding to run. What are some of the problems you see in our education system? What are your thoughts about our education system? Take it however you want. I think I'll focus on something that's not usually focused on. Um, Obviously, we have problems with the uh, social-emotional learning, the CRT agenda, all of that. But I'm more concerned about what's what's not being taught anymore, and that is uh, American exceptionalism. You know, when I was when I was living abroad, I had the opportunity to observe how other uh, places in the world conduct their education. In many of those places, Seth, the, there's the education is uh, from the teacher down to the student, and there's a lot of memorization going on. You know, it's it's math and science, and it's memorization, memorization, memorization. Whereas here in the United States, we we have a totally different approach. And I get actually, I get, I take it kind of personally. I get a little bit upset when people are disrespectful towards the American student, and uh, they're talking about all of these statistics about how we're doing poorly in math and science, and we rank so terribly. First of all, we don't know the source of all of that usually, but more importantly, is that the American student traditionally is in addition to being a student, also is uh, an athlete, uh, a musician. Uh, they may be involved, you may be a thespian. Uh, they're doing debate. They're doing public speaking and all these wonderful things that give them a th- give them kind of whole learning, a holistic approach to the development to become a world citizen. I mean, I can assure you, I've been in a lot of boardrooms all throughout the world. And when an American walks in, the the American spirit, the the innovation, their dynamicism, their charisma, their ability to inspire their audience, it is just not something that I frequently see from other parts of, of the world. Not like the American spirit. And you know, I am absolutely 100% unapologetically American, and I want to teach that that's okay. Our children should be uh, made to know what an amazing, innovative uh, leader of a country we are. And, and you know, on that note, I must, I must add that when we invaded uh, Iraq. There, there was a time when seemingly uh, the world hated America. I can tell you from having been on the ground and observed it myself, there were lines wrapped around every embassy I drove by, every consulate I drove by. Still, throughout the world, we are revered, we are loved, and this country is still desirable to many This is the last beacon of hope, truly. One of the things I often say, Vera, and you've touched on it here, is the difference between how we see ourselves and how others see ourselves. I mean, if you're in some godforsaken, immiserated country, maybe there are no godforsaken countries, but you take my point, and uh, you 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 are under the thumb of a dictator, 
thumbscrew of a dictator and you see some army advancing over the horizon towards you, you pray that army is carrying the American flag. That's at the end of the day what people will say about or will think about America despite all the rhetoric you hear at the United Nations. One of the concerns I have and maybe you can speak to this a little bit better on the other side of the break or a little more in depth on the other side of the break, Vera, is that while there was this uh, moralizing squint about the United States from abroad when it comes to our education system and this kind of elitist notion that Americans are – are, are, are a little more crude than the rest of the world and maybe aren't as good as they think they are. That certainly exists abroad. My biggest concern is that view about America is now in America and it's now in our American classrooms. And this notion of American greatness has become somehow a rallying cry of hatred and a rallying cry to call people who believe in American greatness fascists. We have um, taught ourselves to hate ourselves, and I wonder if you can talk a little bit to that when we come back on the other side of the break. Absolutely. I'm Seth Liebson. She's Vera Gibran. VoteVera.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Vera Gibran, candidate for state legislature here in Legislative District 4, is our guest. VoteVera.com is her website. I was struck, Vera, uh, a little bit in the last segment talking about how the rest of the world sees us in our education system. And what worries me is so many people now here have taken our education system um, as a way to make what outsiders criticize us for worse so they diminish um, our abilities and our interests in teaching the basics, the fundamentals, but also making Americans um, inside the classroom feel worse about America. I had some callers earlier saying we don't say the Pledge of Allegiance anymore. The textbooks on American history are no longer accurate as to American history. They are now revisionist to teach us um, that not even freedom in 1776 is our founding date, but slavery in 1619 is our founding date. Every country, Milan Kundera, who lived in a country that disappeared too, every country that uh, does disappear, uh, it starts with the revision of its own history. And there seems to be this attack um, on our history that is aimed at using our children as the infantry for this. Uh, what's going on in our schools today? And I, you know, we can, it, it comes in the forms of critical race theory, to be sure. It comes in the forms of the transgender fights, to be sure. But it really comes also in how we view ourselves not only as Americans but how we view American history. Most important statistic in in America to me right now is that 50 percent of our graduating seniors in high school get an F in American history, 50 percent. We can talk about illegal immigration and uh, illegal aliens all we want, but we are a country that is making aliens of its own citizens. wonder what your thoughts are on that. My observation has been and my my cognitive reasoning uh, recognizes that the enemy uh, figured out that if they were to get us to weaken ourselves, to break in, to break ourselves, uh, they wouldn't have to. And I believe that the net net of what has been happening is that they 
have gotten us so um, so unsure, and they are robbing our children of confidence. They're robbing our children of self-assuredness. They are breaking them down emotionally and mentally uh, so that their job of taking over this country is made much easier. And like I said, I did shortcut it. That's really the net net of it all. When you think about what our education system used to be and what it really could be, it's not a question, at least in my mind, about money. Uh, Money is obviously important, but it seems to me that a society that cares exclusively about inputs and not outputs, you as a businesswoman understand this, um, is, 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 is a system that's not going to last very long or at least is going to go bankrupt, bankrupt if not financially, intellectually. Outputs, outputs. How are the children doing? What are they knowing? What do they know? What do they th- – can they add? Can they subtract? This is a country that spends north of $700 billion a year on education K-12. through So it's not about money. You can educate a kid for $14,000 a year really well, and that's about the average per pupil spending across this country. It's not about money. It's about what the kids are being taught, isn't it? It absolutely is. And a big part of that is um, us as parents uh, need to be responsible in our knowledge of our children. Mm -hmm. We have to take the time – Pardon me. To be present, to know our children, know our children's needs. And that's, of course, why school choice is so important, because as a parent, you have to evaluate and assess your children's needs and put them in the appropriate school with the appropriate programs. The, the, the state can't make those decisions for us. They absolutely have no business being in our home and between us and our children. That's what's so weird about the debate we've been watching for the last year and a half. You know, we saw this in Virginia where the former governor and former chairman of the Democratic National Committee said that uh, parents should not have a say in what their children learn when they go to the public schools. The president of the United States said they are our kids and nobody else's when they're in the classroom only a week ago. Um, this is this is a very dramatic turn. This for people who come from communist countries is something they understand where the state is the parent, the state is the family. I'm really terrified when I hear these things from these people because they're not making any bones about saying these things. That is absolutely frightening, the audacity. And, you know, we've gotten to the point where they feel emboldened to simply state these things. We are the United States of America. We are the greatest country on earth. We are so because of our Constitution. I'm not certain. I, I, per, perhaps um, we, we need uh, to remember that communism is not an economic structure of, of, uh, that uh, guarantees uh, equality. It is a social structure that is absent God. And when... Your, when your government decides where you work, how much uh, money you make, where you live, what car you drive, they are taking away our free will that was granted by God and our ability. They're taking away our ability to fulfill the potential that God granted us. 
we become uh, completely inhuman. You know, my my uh, beautiful relative, Khalil Gibran, said, life without liberty is like a body without spirit. And that is where we're headed. That's a good way to remember your name. <laughs> That's a great way to remember your name. I was going to ask you if the famous poet was uh, related to the Gibran family. How would it not be? Of course, Vera Gibran uh, has been our guest uh, this uh, past bulk of the hour. VoteVera.com, one of a great crop of new candidates that are uh, marching towards the state house and the state legislature to get this country back on track. I mean, Ronald Reagan said you can you, you, you can lose freedom within a generation. And uh, when you look at what has taken place in the last 30 years, which is a generation, that's when it's changed, Vera. Now is the time to turn it around. Otherwise, I think we're lost forever. Final thought. My final thought is our country is at risk. And I, for one, am not going to just uh, do nothing. I cannot afford to lose my country again. I don't want my children to lose their country it 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 uh it inspires me it motivates me and i also you know as terrible as it is i'm also honored at the opportunity to be able to serve my state and my country there's nothing nothing that i love more and that i would fight harder for god bless god bless thank you i'm seth leibson be right back For those of you looking for a really great and unique investment opportunity with a great return for investors, I want you to check out my friends at Y-Refi. I've met with this team and kicked their tires and looked under hood to understand fully what they are offering. And as I say, it's a really great investment. I'm talking about a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.2 pot excuse me, 10.25% for investors in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Why Refi helps people who are doing their best to dig out of the debt, their debt the right way by doing the right thing to pay off their debts and to do so with dignity. Why Refi helps them with that. They even get their FICO scores fixed along the way. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really good people who are doing very well by helping others. And you can be too. What more can I say? Check them out and invest yrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com or call them at 855-316-3087. It's a local company. You can visit them. They won't give you a sales pitch. They're just happy to talk about what they're doing because it's really good and you can be a part of it too. InvestYRefi.com or call 855-316-3087. One of the things um, I haven't addressed too much today, and I wanted to because there is still a lot on it, although I did spend a good amount of time on it yesterday and the day before, is the fallout from the leak of the Samuel Alito uh, uh, draft opinion in the Dobbs case overruling Roe and planned Parenthood, I um, I want you to be prepared for junk thought in this debate and in this battle. I'll give you a, an example of junk thought. Jen Psaki, White House Press Secretary today, said that Roe versus Wade is the basis for the right to privacy in the Constitution. And she cited, among other cases, I don't mean to geek out, but she cited, among other cases, Griswold versus Connecticut. Well, she has her history wrong. Griswold v. Connecticut came before Roe. Roe was decided based on Griswold, not the other way around. She falsely claimed that the right then to same-sex marriage is based on the right to privacy and 
Roe v. Wade. The gay marriage decision, Oberfell, no, barely mentions Roe. The only mention of Roe in the Oberfell decision is actually in the dissent. Beware and be wary of junk thought. When you read op-eds with people arguing from uh, the position of miserere ad recordium, the fallacy of emotional distress, make sure you understand the facts of what they're arguing. It's interesting that the harshest op-eds I've read have to do with the most exceptional cases of of abortion, rape and incest, for example. It's an extraordinarily dishonest use of debate. Those cases are at most 2% of the abortions. As Ben Shapiro says, even if pro-lifers agreed to exempt rape and incest, the left wouldn't green light banning all other abortions. They're arguing edge cases because you know why? They can't argue the central case. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 